So this evening is the uh, full moon of August. One month of the Vasa has passed. Two months left. <laughs> and so this past week has been quite uh, a uh, shocking experience for most of us. Uh, suicide, Alan uh, calls uh, suicide, which is a very uh, kind of violent act. And so death is uh, definitely a, a devaduta or a messenger. And so in seeing it in terms of Dhamma, where contemplating you know, the reality of, of how this affects uh, our consciousness. So in, you know, in our own experience here, when somebody you know dies, or especially uh, it's like a suicide is a very shocking uh, experience. So in this reflecting, ability to reflect and observe, you know, and it's non-judgmental, it's observing, uh, knowing how, what, how this, this kind of information, when one first uh, heard, uh, when I first heard of Alan's death, you know, the, I was preparing to go to the, uh, on Saturday, uh, with Ajahn Yanarato to Milton Keynes to uh, see the pay respect to the Japanese monk <coughs> that had died the previous week and uh, Ajahn Panyasaro comes in and tells me this terrible news. And of course this is a shock, you know. So my first reaction was shock, you know, I didn't and shock when you're emotionally shocked, you know, you don't, uh, uh, this you don't feel much of anything. You know, it just uh, hits you like something, and then you, uh, you know, you kind of are rushed over to the the uh, Bihara, and, uh, and gradually, by the next day, it began to really feel it emotionally. But the awareness of this, you know, to to be the the observer, the knower of the way it is, rather than the judge or the, the, you know, the the owner of these feelings, you know, and might have all kinds of views about how one should react or, or feel in such a situation. But we're not asking anybody or suggesting they should feel any certain way, but observe the way they are feeling is like this. So this this way, uh, what we call reflecting on the way it is, you know, the people. Then we have this, this, uh, you know, what we knew Alan, member of this community for many years. And so you know, being a friend and someone that I personally like very much, and uh, was a you know sense of loss. Uh, and disappointment, and surprise, and even anger. 
you know, if you've been teaching reflective meditation all these years, you know, it's not that I haven't felt the desire to commit suicide <laughs> sometimes, but the point is to reflect on it, not to do it. <laughs> so, uh, sometimes life just gets too complicated or too despairing or too disappointing and uh, for an individual and that whether you're monastic or lay person it's very much the same thing I guess that even in monasticism you know, it feels you know one is expecting one has hopes expectations uh, ideals principles standards uh, and and all these things do affect our consciousness and when when we don't get when we our expectations are not when we life doesn't live up monastic life doesn't live up to our expectations or the holy life or the monastery or the monks or the nuns or the lay people or whatever or your oneself then there's despair so this uh, this is uh, you know reflecting on the way it is is how hope and despair go together you know wanting to get something out of this life monastic life and expecting it to be uh, something you know like um, you know we often get criticized here because people expect monasteries and Buddhist monks, Buddhist nuns to be like Buddhas, you know, full of loving kindness and understanding and empathy and wisdom and and then you know, they don't find that we're not, we're like that. We have our moments and they feel, I'm disappointed in you, it's like emotional blackmail. And when people, you know, when you feel you know, people expect you to be perfect for them. You know, part of me would like to be the perfect Buddhist monk for all of you. Uh, you know, that's uh, on the ego level. I would like to fulfill all your wishes and never let you down in any way. But that's not the way life is. And so uh, we be. That's why it's so important to to contemplate life, to see it, to feel it, to taste it and not, you know, not and even the expectation or longing and then which inevitably leads to the despair or the disappointment or disillusionment that one might feel. With oneself also, I'm, I don't know how many of you have told me how you you can never get enough samadhi or you can't you've been practicing years and you haven't really had any insight or haven't really felt you haven't uh, achieved what you were expecting or longing to get or you're not a good meditator and all this, what is this anyway, is, is, is I'm somebody who wants to get something I expect to, if I devote myself Become, commit myself to monastic life and really practice hard, I'll get something from it. Now that's, uh, you know, that's understandable in terms of worldly conditioning 
and the sense of somebody who's got to get something. Or you've got to purify yourself. You're too much of a sinner, too dirty, too imperfect. And you hope celibacy and monastic life will purify you so that you'll only have pure thoughts and, and loving kindness and you'll never have mean, nasty, dirty thoughts or desires ever again. That's expecting or longing for perfection. Now these are states we can actually observe, isn't it? When I expect or long or want is like this. Or feel disappointed or despairing, disillusioned is like this. When somebody, when Alan, uh, uh, you know, commits suicide, you know, what is that in terms of people want, would probably like to know, well, <clears throat> that's a terrible thing to do in the scriptures. It's considered, you know, to get a decent human lifetime takes, you know, it's like eons before he'll have another chance or whatever. Like, there's all, form, all kinds of opinions, but the, the reality is one doesn't know. about what happens to Alan or what happens if somebody commits suicide. How much, how long do they have to pay it off in the punishment realm to get another chance? And this is all speculation based on ideas and information we get from books or from other people. So this is, what I'm saying is a direct knowing way of looking directly at what we can actually know in a direct way, not just take knowledge from others or beliefs for that we get from other people or from the scriptural, uh, from the scriptures. So this is, you know, like the Sati Sampatanya, this is the the essence, this is the whole point of Buddha Dhamma, is awakened consciousness. So the emotional reactions to, to experience are like this. So, you know, like in terms of Alan Cole, you know, it's, you know, aware of what, of the, of how it affects me or what I'm feeling and, you know, the, because you're aware doesn't mean you don't feel. You know, it's a, it's a sadness, isn't it? it? To me, a tremendous sadness when, when uh, re re thinking of, uh, when I think of Alan. And so sadness is like this. It's not indifference or unfeeling or, I'm not trying to, to dismiss feeling, but to be aware of the feeling of loss or disappointment. One feels disappointed because, as a friend, one longed to help Alan, hoping and longing to help him get over his particular mental problems. So, in terms of one's own. Uh, experience, isn't it? It doesn't, I'm not, this, this kind of meditation does not prevent me from wanting to help people and wanting them to 
to see the Dhamma and to be free from suffering. But it's also not clinging to that, not uh, demanding it. Therefore, not feeling, uh, not wallowing in the disappointment when, when it doesn't happen the way that you would like it to. So then we we become, you know, we reflect on the Pachubana Dhamma here and now. This is the, this, this is all there ever is, a, you know, in a lifetime, is uh, here and now, experience is now, breathing is now, feeling is now, sensory uh, impingement is now. So we chant these, these, uh, <coughs> Abhidhamma Matiga chants and Kusla Dhamma, Kusla Dhamma, Piyakata, Tamar. It's all about the, all the conditions, qualities, positive and negative and neutral that, that we experience through the senses, through the, through consciousness. And we're reflecting on the, on the, we're aware of this rather than than analyzing, identifying, judging it. But it makes it sound very complicated, though, that Martika. <laughs> it sounds like an awful lot, but in reality, in the, the main, the, the essence and the practice is always here and now. It's not in memorizing that chant, but in awareness, recognizing and valuing, you know, this this ability to be awake and present now. So in, in one, you know, like in in my own practice, is reminding myself that this is a great, this is a like a beautiful gift that I've been able to have in in this in this uh, life. This uh, the you know the encounter with Buddha Dhamma and the pra- and the practice of it so that it's not merely you know a kind of lovely teaching it's some kind of you know altruistic philosophy but it, it's re- it's for reality for realization it works it's real it's not it's not airy fairy philosophy or or, or you know, speculation about the nature of life, or the afterlife, or whatnot. It's awakening here and now to reality because this is why I keep stressing this pachubana dhamma, here and now reality. This is all there ever is. And when you really uh, recognize this. You know, this is this is all. This is what it's all about. Is now, and it's now. And you know, we're experiencing now from this point. You know, so I'm sitting up here on this seat. You're down there on the floor. <laughs> but wherever you are, it's uh, you know, the awakening to this, is, and the feeling or the mental states that you that you happen to be experiencing now is seeing them, knowing them. Allowing them. So in, we're not trying to get rid of despair or, you know, trying to change anything, but recognize, realize, 
it's like this. So sadness, when you think of Alan Cole's death, sadness is like this. Now sadness is not, I don't find sadness depressing because sadness is a part of this realm, isn't it? It's, uh, there's a lot of sadness in a human life. It's just like breathing, you know, the exhalation of loss. We all have to experience loss and uh, separation, old age, uh, the sadness of seeing one parents uh, get old, get senile, crippled, die. The sadness of, you know, just losing uh, something, a pet, a dog or a cat. Or the sadness of life as we see. It's the, it's the, when you uh, hear the news of, of people, you know, the people dying and being killed by bombs and, and the uh, injustices and misery that we hear about, that we're not, we're not experiencing directly, but through news, through information. It's sad. When you hear about starvation and children starving to death in, in Darfur or something, even though I don't know, I've never met anyone from Darfur. You know, and I'm just, you know, only the past few years has Darfur ever been mentioned. I didn't even know there was a place called Darfur until a few years ago. <laughs> and yet, it's sad, isn't it? It's sad when you hear about what the, the slaughter and the, and the, the violent loss of life. And sadness is like this. Now, being aware of it is not, you know, is different than than wallowing in sadness and and just feeling getting depressed and angry and indignant and and uh, or just trying to ignore it. I don't want to hear about that stuff. I don't want to know what's happening. So whatever reaction we have to information is like this. You know, you can see some people are you know, want to know and other people don't, would rather not know about things, you know, the the ugly side of life as we hear about it through the media. But whatever your reaction is, it's like this. So you're, you're, you're using the, the moment not to think you should or shouldn't, but to be aware of it. It's like this. Resisting, not wanting to hear sad news is like this. And so you can see one's, one's resistance is like this. Suppression, resistance, denial is like this. Or just being overwhelmed all the time, feeling, oh, this life is so sad, I can't bear it. There's so many terrible things happening and it's unfair and shouldn't be. Is <laughs> like this. And this doesn't mean that we you know, we're ignoring it and we're, we're, we're using it. Using the, the changing conditions, the feeling of life, in order to see it in terms of what it really is, rather than in terms of 
love hate uh, approval disapproval wanting it to being lost in our desire to to wanting it to be otherwise and then feeling the inevitable despair and frustration and anger when you 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 know you think there's nothing you can do about it and somebody like Ellen commit suicide, then of course, you know, we do feel this uh, somebody that was in, you know, had so much, you know, was in a good place, was in, you know, a community where he was appreciated and uh, that loved the Dhamma also. Because he's always, he loved to go on retreats and you know, in times attending morning, evening chanting, meditations. But what it is that you know that that um, brought him to this point of taking his own life, I don't know. I've never, you know, the you know you can't make somebody. You know, like you can take the horse to the stream, but you can't make them drink the water, <laughs> in other words. Now to me, this is, these are the challenges of where really when life gets you down to the point of despair, and this is what I encourage, not to <laughs> go to despair, but I mean, if life should do that, then it's opportunity. To reflect on it, it's like this, when you're at the bottom of the pit and it's all dark and black, loss is like this. Now, there, this this way of reflecting is a skillful way of of looking at um, when life does seem hopeless and there's no point. It's meaningless and and it's uh, and and oneself the way one may detest or feel a total failure in regards to yourself is like this. And that's why I, I emphasize this, this way of reflecting because these, this is a very skillful way of, of using what happens to one in this uh, conscious lifetime that, we're, that each one of us is experiencing. You know, so we have different karmas. You know, so we have different mental conditioning, different memories, uh, inclinations, attitudes. Now why? Why can't we all just be the same? Uh, because that's not the way it is. Condition phenomena is infinitely variable. You know, nature is changed and it doesn't, nothing stays the same. So, you know, you, you know, just look at your own emotional realities and sense experiences. You know, everything you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think and feel is changing. And it's not changing the way you want it all the time, it's changing the way it has to. You know, it's just uh, whatever begins, ends. Whatever is born, dies. All conditions are impermanent. And that's seeing it in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of what should or shouldn't be, or what you would like and and what you don't like. So in uh, monastic reflection, we have that 
one of them, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. Now that's an important reflection. I remember when I first heard that, you know, I thought, oh, that's depressing. You know, because there's always a hope. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, I'll be able to have and keep forever. I'll find happiness forever. And I'll live in a place where everybody is kind and beautiful and we live in a kind of lovely deva realm forever and ever in, in harmony and happiness. Friends that you can really trust forever. They'll never let you down. And you'll be free from pain. Never have uh, you know, anything unpleasant. So we, we can, you know, long for happiness as a permanent uh, condition. But happiness is impermanent. Sukhaya Vedanaya Sampayudana. Sukhaya Vedanaya. I mean, this is, and this is just the way it is. And it's not depressing unless you want it to be otherwise and it's not the way that you want it to be then one can get very depressed or disillusioned. So if you're expecting Buddhism or monastic life or anything to give you kind of permanent happiness and a state of bliss that will make you never have to feel misery or despair or or sadness ever again, you're going to be disappointed, I guarantee it. <laughs> now, the, the value of monastic life is that we're, you know, the whole structure and form is for this kind of reminder, because the world does not do this. The world tends to want to provide hopes and, and you know, the future is going to get better and better, better and better, progress, development, and, you know, the, the government, everything, you know, society will become better, all the problems will be resolved, everything will become fair and just, everybody will become kind and harmonious and tolerant. And this is, this is you know, the hope uh, of, a, of idealism. But then that's a sure way to becoming a cynic, you know. As you get older, you you know, I certainly was, you know, was quite good at that when I was young. And as I got older, by the time I was 30, I was quite cynical, disappointed with myself mainly. Because I had not become what I was expecting to become by the age 30. So I kept feeling, oh, what a, what a jip life is. You know, when I was 18, and by the time I was 30, what a disappointment. And then, of course, one can blame oneself. I didn't have what it takes, or the, blame the society, parents, or, you know, try to, you know, or, you know, spend the rest of my, my life just trying to deal with, you know, not being too disappointed and settling for mediocrity or or just you know getting lost even playing games getting drunk or or getting absorbed playing golf gambling having adventures becoming an adventurer so these are you know these are 
alternative way to kind of at least get something going in your life or sink into just despair like some people do. Depression, what they call people just get depressed and and they just can't do anything then cause, because your mind is is like it's sunk down where you have you just feel there's no point to life and it, it, you can't do anything you're a failure and there's no way out so that's where this turning the switching the light on isn't it this awareness then is like switching the light on when you when you're actually in the pit of despair the valley of morbidio inferiore when you've fallen into hell it's like this and <laughs> no, it's not trying to get rid of it you know if you think you get the idea and then you try to use it thinking that you're you're going to get rid of your miserable state then you you you're going to be disappointed it means also we accept hell is like this and we don't demand that it go away our attitude towards hell changes because we're aware of it rather than just reacting to it trust in that awareness and don't you don't expect it to go or get rid of because you're 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 cheating yourself when you do that Ajahn Sumedho says, well, the way it is, and I do that, and I still feel miserable. It doesn't go away. It doesn't work. But you, you, you know, you're, you're really cheating because you, you're thinking that what I'm saying is giving you a, a quick fix to get rid of misery. But I'm not. It's like really embracing misery. A lot, willing to be miserable, feel it, taste it. And then you'll see, you'll be, be awakened to its changingness. And that very shift from wanting it to go away or, you know, trying to get rid of it or suppress it, you know, to embracing. Embracing is not ubadana or grasping it. But it's, it's like willing to willing to suffer, willing to feel it, willing to taste it, allowing it to be what it is. Then the wisdom comes out of that, discernment. It's interesting, somebody gave me the recent issue of Time magazine with Mother Teresa on the cover. Because it's ten years since she died and she's one of the great saints of our time, isn't it? She's, you know, got an incredible Roman Catholic nun in Calcutta, taking, you know, spending her life devoted to rescuing the, the miserable, dying outcasts in, the, in Calcutta. And then setting up uh, these kind of hospices everywhere all over the world. So she's done an enormous amount of work and, you know, very selfless work toward, in, in a very good way. And yet in this article it says, oh, well, 50 years of just total despair. 
Now one felt a bit disappointed because <laughs> one doesn't want Mother Teresa to have despair, at least I don't. You know, she, I mean, it's interesting to see how, how uh, you know, over 50 years of being incredibly sacrificing and working for the welfare of others and yet having no joy no spiritual uplift from it. How is that possible? And then, you know, you read about how her, she's expecting, expecting, this is my interpretation anyway, her religious practice was about expecting something from God. She'd had a, I think, early, a strong religious kind of experience that inspired her. Now, in terms of vipassana meditation, how many of you have had moments of great bliss and insight in your own spiritual development? You know, where you've had, you feel, you know, really, you know, this beautiful feeling of knowing and enlightened awareness. And then, wanting it again. You know, so when, when you have that experience, then you, then if you're not aware, you're not really reflecting, it creates a desire to have it again, to, to long for that blissful moment that you remember having had in the past. Now, I've, I've done this, so I know from experience, having, you know, having had a kind of brilliant insight experience and then practicing really hard to have, have to duplicate it only to end up with nothing. I mean, in fact, the one year I spent in this Pupek mountain in Thailand trying to get back the, the year that I was a Samanera Nongkai, the brilliant insights. And that, that six months I spent on Pupek mountain was absolutely miserable in every way. I got sick, depressed, even had a whirlwind storm blow blow across the mountain top, nearly got blown off a cliff. <laughs> Thought I was gonna die from a terrible disease and I don't know what it was. Food was horrid. And yet, you know, I began to, to recognize this longing for another blissful year, another high, another, that I remembered having. Now the year in Nongkai wasn't all that blissful, you know. Much of it was, you know, dealing with, putting up with boredom and despair and, and weariness and doubt and anger and all these negative states. But yet, because one, but then as uh, time went by, then the, those kind of states disappeared and I began to experience this, this bliss. Then the attachment, the memory of this bliss, attaching to that memory, created the desire to have it again. Well, this is like bhavadana, isn't it? You're contemplating desire, so you, 
you know, oh, and I was in Nongkai, oh, it was so blissful, and oh. And then at Wat Pong, when I was with Ajahn Chah, you had to, you know, you had all these, these long bindabats. You had to go arms collecting in the morning. You had to work in the afternoon. You had to attend morning chanting, evening chanting. And he's always building things. They always had a building project. So, you know, I learned how to render bricks. I learned how to do all kinds of things that, you know, because everybody was expected to engage in these working projects. And so I kept thinking, well, once we built this, then we'll be able to practice. And then I went on and on, and then it was the road to Tamsang Pet, and then it was, you know, then it was Nana Chat, and then England, uh, Chitters, and then Amravati. <laughs> Always <laughs> in the way. But over the years, you begin to see what you're doing. Expecting, longing, and not wanting what you have, or not being content with what you have. Thinking that when you get all the right conditions together for the perfect monastery, the perfect situation, then you can really practice. But that is another mental state of desire in the present, isn't it? I can't, it's not good enough for the way it is now. Uh, therefore, I can't really get my practice together. I've got to go somewhere else. That is a, you know, if you begin to recognize this, is you create this sense of yourself and that you've got to get something you don't have and what you have is not good enough. It's like this. So then you become aware of discontentment or not wanting, resisting, looking to the future for your enlightenment. And so notice in the second noble truth that these three kinds of desire are to be let go of. And to let go of them, you have to know what they are. You just can't let go of desire as a kind of expectation of life or something you should do. You've got to know what, what bawa dhanha is, is, you know, as you, as you experience it. Or vipa vadana, desire to get rid of things. Discontentment, always thinking, you know, being critical and discontented. Wanting things to be different, expecting, longing, or resenting. And these are all mental states that we can definitely observe. So Mother Teresa was in the, you know, experienced darkness, something like for 50 years, kind of spiritual darkness, and uh, loneliness. Now, you know, it's a, she did have incredible, you know, in spite of all that, to stick it out for 50 years. <laughs> she is a saint. <laughs> Man, in, in, but the tools that we have, you know, are really quite skillful because you're actually learning about this, how you, your own, from your own mind. It's not, you know, to, think because you're experiencing darkness and loneliness and despair that you're doing something wrong. It's using it 
for with awareness to see it in terms of what it is as a condition. All conditions are impermanent. So, so you're you're learning to recognize and allow it to be, allow it to change. So letting go doesn't mean resisting or destroying, but letting go of it, letting it be what it is till it its natural state of change has happened, you know, so you're not you're not trying to to be aware of it so it'll go away and you can feel happy again. That's cheating. You're lying to yourself. Because like consciousness itself, you know, you, this is this is my my insight in early years of monastic life, uh, you know, that consciousness is light. You know, in a dark room, you remember being in the Tamsang pet years ago, and really, you know, when there's no moon shining, and you're in this, in the, amongst all these, uh, they had these rocks, these grottos, cave-like grottos, and they're a bit eerie at night. You, know, you light a candle, you know, there's no, you had to be given a candle, they lit a candle and all the kind of weird things, shadows and noises in a jungly place with these, these rocks and darkness all around. And uh, just a feeling of this, this blackness and a fear, you know, of not knowing what's out there. Because you're living in a in a tropical jungle where it's full of living things, you know, and you can imagine anything. You can see why Thais believe in ghosts because it <laughs> you hear all kinds of weird noises. And then it's, then by exploring vision, just by contemplating, I'm looking at darkness. Like I, I did this quite intentionally, just staring with my eyes wide open, looking at blackness in front of me. And then, uh, then the emotionally, thinking, oh, it's so dark, I can't see, it's scary. And then, recognizing that being able to see darkness, that's because of consciousness, isn't it? And that's light, because there's seeing, there's seeing. Now if I just resist the darkness, or react to it, then I'm, I'm caught in the in that karmic pattern of, oh, I can't stand it, it's too much, and have to run away from it. Or to recognize, just by observing, that being conscious of darkness, conscious of pain, conscious of despair, conscious of, of disappointment, consciousness of hell, is that, that's the light. That you you rest in that light of consciousness, with wisdom, with mindfulness and wisdom informing you, rather than just being a helpless victim of your fears and desires. So this this uh, you know with the venerable Honda, uh, it was a Japanese monk at Milton Keynes died very suddenly because of some accident. His was an accidental death. So there was a shock too. I mean, I didn't know him that well, so he, and I never lived with him, but I knew him and certainly regarded him very highly. And being Buddhist monk, of course, it's, 
you know, you do appreciate uh, that and that he, you know, he's a very vigorous kind of strong-looking 50-year-old monk uh, that had a good many years left. <laughs> and, uh, and yet suddenly he's gone, you know, and suddenly he's dead. That's a shock. And then with Alan, you know, that's, that's more of a shock because I knew him. And he, and he did, and he killed himself. He committed suicide here in the monastery. That's the first time this has ever happened. So, it, and, and it affects me like this. So I've noticed for the past few days just a feeling of sadness and, you know, just a general feeling of, you know, just this, uh, whatever it is. I don't know how even to describe it. Because it's, it's certainly an unpleasant feeling. So I, I put it down as sadness. <clears throat> as some way of describing it. Or grief. But the first reaction when I heard the news was shock. And so no, notice that. Oh, and when, when you hear something for the first time, something shocking news that when you're shocked, you don't feel very much. So, you know, I could, you know, you could still intellectually operate, you know, you're not kind of out of it. But I think we all, we were all, like Ajahn Majiro was, was obviously shocked, but he was busy, you know, getting all the information, dealing with the police and, and so forth, and yet, you know, you could function perfectly, efficiently, but yet, you know, nobody was crying or feeling grief at that moment because uh, the the shock of the situation is where you, you emotionally you're, you're rather dead. At least this is what I found in myself. And then uh, following day, <laughs> I felt, I cried, found myself crying. Not because I was wallowing in, you know, in despair, but it just was why I started opening to the feeling. The feeling wasn't a rational feeling. It wasn't like I decided I should grieve for Alan and then try to do it according to some idea of what I should feel. It just happens. And that awareness of that is like, you know, is why I encourage you to, to recognize and value. So on Sunday, I had to give the afternoon reflection and and the news was going around you know but I couldn't talk about it on Sunday <laughs> one man said why didn't you say something I said look I, could, I just couldn't talk about it at that point <laughs> I wasn't ready to tell it and talk about it <laughs> no. So things are, you know, it's like, you know, you're, this is what being human is about. You know, we're not idols of perfection and what, like, what we should be, but we're like this. And I don't know, you know, I assume that we have enough in common that what I say can relate to you, but I don't know. Maybe you function differently. But it's not, I mean, you should, you should, you know, feel like I do, 
but my reflections are more sharing what happened, you know, so you get, get a, you know, a, get some feeling for this reflective ability of reflective wisdom and uh, trust it, you know, and, and even if you don't feel anything or you don't care, uh, being aware of that is, uh, is all, you know, whatever your reaction is, is like this. So even if you don't care what happens, it's like this, or you, you care too much, you're just overwhelmed with grief and it's like this. You know, so it's not a matter of prescription and, and kind of telling, intimidating you into how to feel around such a, such a, a shocking event, but uh, encourage you to, uh, to awaken, use awaken, use awareness with consciousness too. And it's, so it's not critical, it's not telling how you should feel or not feel, but it's like this. Whatever, because feeling, you know, how can you make yourself feel something? You're playing games when you're trying to, oh, because you think you should feel it. You're trying to make yourself grieve. That's not it. You know, you've got an ideal of what you'd like to feel. But you, that's not it. But even if you don't feel anything, it's like this. So this is uh, learning to, to, and this is the path, uh, the middle way actually, this is the path itself, this awareness. Nothing more to it than this. As you begin to recognize it and value it, then you can integrate it into the flow of life and its ordinariness, in its daily routine ordinariness, and, and as life brings forth these extreme experiences or or whatever, from blissful happiness to despair. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening.